It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson back in Auburn, Alabama. Painter Sharpless coming to you from Parts Unknown. Hello, Painter. Hello, brother. Painter, this is uh, a podcast today where we will go over Auburn's uh, win over South Carolina, 81-66. I'll take up the focus of our time. We will talk some football as usual towards the end. Thank you all for listening. Uh, it's It's been a really busy week for Auburn basketball. They go on the road and get two wins. Now, off the top, I want to say this very clearly in a disclaimer. They beat the two worst teams in the SEC this year by pretty much any metric. Uh, LSU really going through it right now. South Carolina, outside of that win against Kentucky, is has just really just not had a good season at all. But Auburn winning back-to-back uh road games in SEC play by 15 plus points. It's the first time they've had back-to-back road wins by 10 or more points by double digits in SEC play. I believe since it was like 98-99 tells you how long that's been, tells you what teams do that. It's the first time Auburn's done this 15 plus in back-to-back road games since 1966. 1966 by the way, the era of SEC basketball, uh, I I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before we might have. Um, but like, this was the era of, of basketball where like everybody in the sec had a dude who just did everything for him. Um, it's that late sixties, early seventies. For example, that 1966 Auburn team was led by Lee DeFore. Lee DeFore averaged 23.7 points and 9.6 rebounds per game that year. Just getting it done. Good job, Lee. Um, and then a couple years later, John Mengelt, who is one of the best players in, in Auburn history, it was uh, the 1969-1970 season, I believe. Um, this is this is ridiculous. I was, I was looking at this last night. So this is Pete Maravich's best year at LSU. Pete Maravich, um, his, his senior year at LSU, he averaged 44.5 points a game, <laughs> in case you don't know that, that fun fact. Um, he averaged uh, more points than anyone probably ever will uh, as a as a basketball player. But that all SEC team that year, um, forty four and a half points per game from Pete Maravich. Uh, John Melgelt for Auburn averaged twenty six point eight points a game. Andy Owens from Florida averaged twenty seven points and nine rebounds a game. Bob Leinard from Georgia averaged twenty one point three points and fourteen rebounds a game. And then this one, I I, I would argue is just as ridiculous as Pete Maravich. Dan Issel from Kentucky averaged 34 points and 13 rebounds a game. Just like, that was an era, I, I want to know what's, what was happening in like late 60s, early 70s SEC basketball because like every team had like one dude who just went nuts. It's like, were, were double teams illegal at that point in time? Like, was it was it like, all right, no, you're, you're, you're the one guy and that's all you got and that guy's going to be the... Like, were they playing strict man-to-man? Like, I don't know what in the world was going on then. But anyway, it just shows you just how far basketball has kind of come since then and also just how long it's been since Auburn has had a week or has had a, a back-to-back games in SEC play where they've looked this good and have taken care of business. We say it all the time, Panter. You get your wins on the road in the SEC by any means necessary. Yes, Auburn is fortunate that they played the two worst teams in the SEC on the road in back-to-back games. Yes, Auburn is fortunate that the way the schedule shook out in the SEC this year, that the first half of the season was going to be the, the, the easier part. And Auburn's taking advantage of it. They beat South Carolina 81-66 uh, on, on, on Saturday. And I think the Painter, I think the, the quote that Bruce Pearl had after the game I think was pretty telling. He said, I'm proud of our guys with the exception of at Georgia, which is not an easy place to win. Our guys are taking care of business. It's three road wins so far for us, but we all recognize, though, that the schedule toughens starting next week. And I think that's a perfect way to look at what Auburn's done. Auburn is winning basketball games. They have turned it around. They are playing a lot better than they did, you know, a few weeks ago. But we can all sit around and recognize that, like, hey, they're going to have to continue to get better in order to do this against teams that are going to be much better starting with A&M on Wednesday night at home. And then they go to West Virginia, who is not does not have a great Big 12 record this season. 
but the Big Twelve is nasty and like they're they're capable of beating a lot of good teams because I of think it. they just beat a top fifteen TCU, by the way. Who smoked Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse on, on, on Saturday. So yeah, West Virginia West Virginia is eleven and eight. They're one and six in SC in SC in Big Twelve play. They're twenty eighth on Ken Palm. They just lost to Texas at home, you know, by eight. But like you said, yeah, they beat TCU earlier this week. TCU goes and hammers Kansas in Lawrence. I mean, it, that that is just a meat grinder. The Big Twelve, like, the SEC as a whole, is not as good as it usually is. I think the ACC has now been in kind of this little dip for a couple of years now. Big Twelve is nuts, and so the schedule is about to get a lot tougher. But there's something to be said, Painter, of an Auburn team taking care of business. They won by 15-plus in both games. They covered the spread in both games. Um, you know, and, and this is an Auburn team that even at their peak, even at some of their best years last season, a few seasons ago when they when they uh, you know went to the Final Four, the year before that when they uh, won the SEC for the first time, this was not an overly great team on the road in those in those seasons. And so the fact that Auburn now has won three straight games away from home, yes, probably the three worst teams in the SEC, and they've probably played three of the four wor- uh, they probably played the four bottom teams here on the road. Yeah, that that means something that matters. But you know, in in SEC play, it's you get these wins by any means necessary. Auburn's looking up right now, heading in this week. They are six and one in SEC play, which means. See what you can do against A&M. There's a chance that they head into February saying, like, all we've got to do is kind of split games, you know, in in February and early March to be comfortably in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, take care of business the way way you don't set the schedule, but they're, they're, they're continuing to take care of business and playing better basketball. Still spreading the wealth. I mean, I guess there's no one player, as we've talked about, that – is just head and shoulders above the rest in terms of talent. Wendell seems to be the engine, but another game of a bunch of people doing a bunch of good things. Yeah, this game, two players go into get double doubles. Bruce Pearl said, you know, on Thursday after the LSU game, he said Jani Broom is working with a he had a toe sprain. He said, you know what, this guy's going to get back to double and double double doubling really soon. Boom. He dunks the first two. You get the first four points of the game are wide open dunks. South Carolina has no real front court to speak of. Um, Gigi Jackson, who we will definitely mention several times in this podcast, is very very good. Auburn really wanted him. He ended up reclassifying and staying home. He's from Columbia. Um, but Hayden Brown, the transfer they got from the Citadel, is like six five six six. They tried to have him guard. Uh, the experienced guy is experienced a little bit bigger body than the rest of their starting lineup, except for Jackson. They tried to get him to guard Broom, and buddy, that was bad. Just skinned him alive. Second, you know, the second wave. When you look at some of the younger, uh, bigger bodies that um, South Carolina tried to throw at Jani Broom, didn't matter. Jani Broom, twenty-seven points, eleven boards. 12 of 17 shooting, as our friend Nathan King pointed out on Twitter on Saturday night. This is, this is the best scoring game of and best most efficient game of Jani Broom's career when he shoots at a high volume like this. Uh, he, he tore it up. I think he had four dunks uh, of his, his makes. But then he started hitting some like touch shots, some push shots, some floaters, uh, kind of in the middle of the lane. And... You know, not everyone's going to be South Carolina. Like, South Carolina's a bad basketball team. We we all can see that. But there are probably more teams like South Carolina than there are like LSU, like Mississippi State these last two games, where you have multiple, you know, 6'10 guys, big guys, physical guys that you can pack the paint with and really try to take Jani Broom out of the game plan. South Carolina didn't have an answer, and Broom got rolling pretty quickly. 27-11 from him. 16 and 16 points and 12 assists from Wendell Green Jr. That's a double-double as well. 12 assists, his most in an Auburn uniform. I think it's the second most in his career, uh, dating back to his time uh, at Eastern Kentucky. And then Alton Flanagan, 
Uh, got, I think he had six defensive rebounds, but by the time he checked out in the first half, uh, for the first time, he finishes with eight and 10. Um, if he would have scored there, Painter, I don't know when the last time Auburn had had three double doubles in one game. Now, two double doubles in one game last season, uh, uh, Jabari and Walker did it against Jacksonville state in the NCAA tournament first round game. However, Here's an interesting fact that that I really didn't realize until I started writing last night. This is the first time Auburn's had two guys double-double in the same game in SEC play since Asan Dixon-Tatum and Alan Payne did it in 2014. So Asan Dixon-Tatum and Alan Payne were the last two guys for Auburn to have double-doubles in in an SEC game back in 2014. Auburn lost that game. It was a loss to Mississippi State. To have two guys like that playing at a really, really high level is different. And you can see on one end, okay, Jani Broom, it's a it's a mismatch. He's he's walking into a situation where he's he's bigger and, and more productive than any big man South Carolina has on their roster. South Carolina's two point defense is pretty weak. They have no real rim protection to speak of. I think Auburn hit like nine out of their final ten shots from two point range in the in the first half. Dominate. You do what you're supposed to do in a matchup like that. You dominate. And the fact that Janai Broom is that scoring five is going to be an advantage because not every team's going to have the same sort of like, hey, we can we that not every team's got a Tolu Smith. You know, not every team's got two six ten starters like uh like LSU did. On the flip side, Wendell Green, not the biggest dude out there, the smallest dude out there. And Yet, we have seen since that Georgia game, he has continued to play so very well. 12 assists. I mean, he just he was he was doing whatever he wanted out there. Some of his lobs that he had were incredible. That pass he did, where he that full-court pass where he kind of threw it between two guys and spun it uh, to Allen for that dunk, it's one of the craziest passes I've ever seen live. Um, he He's feeling it right now. And there was a challenge. There was a real challenge for Auburn when they lost to Georgia, because he played really poorly in that game, it's like, hey, if Auburn's going to win, if Auburn's going to beat decent opponents moving forward, they were going to need Wendell Green Jr. to step up and play and play well. And not only has he played well, again, said it uh, after the LSU game, you could argue that he is the best point guard in the SEC right now in terms of his production. Zakai Ziegler is having a great season also for Tennessee right now, and that'll be a really fun matchup here in a couple of weeks. But that that is exactly what you wanted to see uh, from from Wendell Green, and like you said, he just makes every everything go for this team. You've referenced the Georgia loss a couple of times. It's a bummer that it, like I don't know if it had to happen. Obviously, right. you've also pointed out that since the Georgia game, Auburn's been fortunate with how the schedule has has gone. So there's some factors at play that. You know, we're, we're couching some of the credit we're giving Auburn, but as you say, they're still winning. They're winning on the road and in some cases doing so impressively or comfortably. Um, I, you know, I don't I don't know if it was necessary, but it felt like there was a an important reset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, the the players have talked about how they had like a team meeting, a players meeting after that Georgia loss. Where they all really got together. Bruce Pearl said he's seen leadership. He's seen better accountability from his guys. I think Auburn's had better body language, better chemistry. Better. You can just see that they're playing better. They needed a wake-up call, right? That non-conference schedule, they had some good wins there. You know, Northwestern's not a bad win. St. Louis is not a bad win. You know, they, they, had, some, they had some good opponents they beat. But the way they looked against USC when Wendell went down, Memphis obviously was just a disaster for them. And then Georgia was a real sign it's like hey i mean like you know this this is a this is a team that's got to step up we've got to get better in order to you know make the tournament this year cuz the way auburn was playing it was like that looked more like a bubble team now they're projected at around 5 seed 6 seed depending on where you're looking at and don't want to get too far ahead of myself cuz we want to actually talk about the rest of the games the rest of the game here but if you look at it in the projections right now, Auburn currently tied for second in the SEC. Texas A&M did lose to Kentucky. We'll talk about that because Auburn plays A&M next. Auburn and Tennessee are tied at 6-1 and one for second in the SEC behind Alabama, who 
looks like they're just, I mean, they're, they're just blowing everybody out right now. Uh, and, um, you know, Alabama's, I mean, Alabama's got a, a real, they play Auburn and Tennessee in the middle of February back to back. They might just keep crushing everybody until then. Either way, the Auburn's tied for second in the SEC. They play Tennessee twice. Those are going to be really tough games. We all know that Tennessee's got the best defense in America. But right now, Auburn projected at six and one. They're projected to go six and five the rest of the way, according to Ken Palm, which would get them at twelve and six, which would make them the third best team in the SEC, which would probably put them five six seed range in the NCAA tournament. You know, obviously, depending on what they do in Nashville, uh, affecting that. Painter, two and a half weeks ago, we were not saying this about this this Auburn team, and it's that turnaround. That's a really good point. Yeah, they're like, I don't know if it was necessary. You would rather it not be necessary because if not, I mean, you could be undefeated right now and saying, yeah, it's a, it's a favorable first half of the schedule, but you're winning games you're supposed to be winning, and that's exactly like upsets are happening left and right in college basketball. Gonzaga losing to Loyola Marymount so Auburn could get that uh, longest home winning streak now. You know, that – you don't want to have to do that, right? You know, you don't want to have that 2013 Auburn going to LSU moment where it's like, oh, okay, now we know how to how to win and play moving forward. But I do think that things have kind of reset. That is a good wake-up call. And for a team that we don't think – we'll see. They'll play Alabama and Tennessee twice, so we will see if they are truly championship caliber or not. But for a team that on paper does not look like they're going to win the SEC this year – if you can learn something out of that loss and that loss isn't going to kill you because George is looking pretty good right now, um, comparatively speaking, you know, you'll take that. You'll take those lessons. Maybe in an alternate universe, you eke out that win against Georgia and it's, it serves as a wake up call. That right is the ideal scenario. I guess though, since they did it, you're pleased about the way things have gone since. And I think something you wrote about something you've, probably mentioned a few times recently the experience on a team that doesn't have out of this world talent is one a part of the reason that they're finding their success hitting their stride and also i think it was important to work through whatever was going on in that dreadful performance yeah i i i agree and we talked about it after the Georgia game, Auburn's veterans were not taking that step forward. They weren't playing like they should be. You know, asked Bruce about this after the game. I said, like, hey, you've won back-to-back games, you know, on the road by 15-plus points. That hasn't happened in, you know, 55 years at Auburn. Uh, 56 years at this point, 57. I can't do math. Um, it's like, what, what, you know, what's been the difference? What, you know, why are, why are you guys being so successful? Or am I really that bad at math? Yeah, no, it's 50-something. Um, and he said, well, we played well early both times. You know, going into last week, they had, they got off to that slow start against Georgia and never recovered. They got off to a slow start against Ole Miss and needed to rally. Um, but in both of the South Carolina and LSU games, they did a good job of saying, hey, we're the better team, and we're going to punch, punch you early. And then, like, in the first half, their offense wasn't on fire. Auburn's wasn't. They took a lot of threes, open threes that they missed. But again, that's the, you know, they they were missing threes that they have been hitting here recently. But the difference is, it's just like this Auburn team just doesn't have a ton of consistent sharpshooters. They have guys who can get hot, you know, they have guys who can hit it, but it's not necessarily like okay, here's a here's a sniper on this team. And so when they were missing those threes, South Carolina was not getting blown out. They go on that big run at the end of the first half. And it's the veterans, the veteran. You look at you look at the plus minus in this game. It's the starters, um, you know, plus twenty three for Wendell, plus sixteen for Janai and Jalen, plus twenty two for Allen, plus twelve for Zepp. And Bruce said after the game, yeah, we played played well to start. I honestly think it's the experience of Janai's third year, Al's fourth year, Jalen's fourth year, Zepp's seventh year, uh, and and uh, you know, half joke, half truth there with with Zepp Jasper, but like. Yeah, I mean, these guys have stepped it up. Wendell Green Jr. in this five-game winning streak is averaging 17.8 points per game, 6.2 assists, only 2.4 turnovers per game, uh, and he's shooting 89% from the free throw line. On top of the fact that he is one of the best in the country uh, at drawing fouls and getting to the free throw line. He's he's attempting a lot right now. 
Alan Flanagan continues to play really, really well. You love the scoring when you can get it from him. And in this game, you know, half of his scoring were wide open dunks. You love the scoring if you can get it, but the fact that he is scraping up so many rebounds at this point uh, is huge. Uh, he is at a point right now where he had zero turnovers again on on uh, Saturday, which is big. I mean, he had seven against Mississippi State. But in this in this winning streak, he's averaging 11.8 points a game, 7.4 rebounds per game. He has still recorded more assists and turnovers, even with that seven turnover game against Mississippi State. And then, of course, Zeb Jasper has gone nuts. You know, playing defense. Jalen Williams has scored a dozen points. And I think it's like four or five straight games uh, now for him. The veterans are playing like veterans. And as Auburn gets deeper into the season, they're not magically getting better. Like, they're not magically doing stuff they hadn't done this year. It's more of, okay, this is what we're good at, and we're figuring it out. And there, there's a good chemistry and a rhythm, especially when those veterans are out there. The rotations have tightened up. You know, they're not having to rely on their bench as much, but it's balanced enough, and it goes back to something that we've said before, Painter. Yeah, South Carolina's a bad team. You can kind of do whatever you want against them, and, and you, you will normally be fine. But it's this team where I think their advantage that they're going to have in some of these tougher matchups moving forward is that, that they don't rely on just one guy, or they don't rely on just one style of play that they can adapt, they can mold, they can play up to what their matchup is. That's going to be big when you play A&M this week. It's going to be big when you play the Alabamas and Tennessees and the Kentuckys of the world in February. But for right now, that kind of team can get impressive wins against not great teams. And, it, and it, you know, South Carolina is a great example of this, like LSU was a week er, uh, earlier in the week. They're hitting the reset button pretty much from front to back with their program, brand new coaching staff, brand new players, a lot of newness. Auburn's got the most consistent and most successful coach in the SEC during his time, you know, during his last few years here, last five years. No one's been more successful than Auburn. And they've got this level of consistency and this level of continuity that I think when you play a team, and there's a lot of them in the SEC that are hitting the reset button, you can just go into their building and just say, at we got it. And that is something that Auburn hasn't been able to do very often. What did you think about Auburn's bench production in this matchup? This wasn't a great game for the bench in terms of scoring. Um, I, you know, if you look at it, KD got into foul trouble. KD continues to, you know, make things happen on offense, even when he's not necessarily scoring. He had that really good that pump fake three where he drove and scored in the first half was really nice. Didn't get a ton from, you know, Trey Donaldson or Leo Berman like you had been getting. You know, Cardwell, Cardwell didn't play as much in this game. He did have a couple of really good plays. Didn't play as much in this game because, you know, Janai played a ton with the, with the way he was playing. I think the bigger thing, though, is like you've seen Auburn's bench step up and play well. And I think once Chris Moore comes back, I think you're going to see Auburn be able to rely more on that bench, see how they do with you know managing the minutes for Chris and Allen. I think Allen's probably at a position. We'll see. But whenever Chris Moore comes back, that Allen's probably got that starting job still locked down so that a guy like Chris Moore could be a really big boost for you coming off the bench because he has been you know a starter quality player for you when he's been healthy this year. By the way, uh, Chris Moore warmed up before the game, uh, went through everything, uh, which is usually a good sign that he could be close to returning. Um, we've seen that with several guys that Auburn has had, you know, with injuries this year, you know, not play, but go through everything like you're about to play. Um, and that's a, that's a really good sign for him. But I think Painter, you will take the fact that this wasn't a great game for the bench. And I think when South Carolina made their run there in the middle of the second half, it was against a backcourt, Lior, Trey, Katie was on there a little bit. It was against more of those that rotation, and they took advantage. Like, Auburn's up by 25-26. They start putting in more of the bench. South Carolina makes a run. Auburn puts their starters back in. They pull away. You'll live with that because, you know, as scary, quote-unquote, as it might have gotten, South Carolina never got within 10. You know, LSU got to two at one point in the in the game earlier this week. But you'll trade all that. You'll, I can't help but feel like that little run was just Auburn almost getting bored. They switched off, I think. Um, they weren't uh, 
Janai Broom was talking, and the, and the and the starting front court was out there for that. But I asked Janai like, okay, what happened there in that second half where the defense just wasn't as good? I mean, South Carolina had a dreadful first half on offense. In the second half, they had a pretty good one. And I asked him like, okay, I asked Janai like, what happened? He said, I feel like we got a little stagnant. We were late to spots. We didn't jump out and force them to take tougher shots. We fouled them too much. Um, they dealt with their points in the second half. Coming out of halftime, we just needed to get a couple more stops and really try to put the game away. They didn't do that, you know. They didn't do that in this game. Um, yeah, they got complacent. There were some. There were some. Uh, there were some. Uh, there were some reserves out there, and there were some lineups where Auburn didn't have their best best out there, and they didn't totally put them away. And credit goes to South Carolina too. They didn't give up. They kept fighting. Um, Gigi Jackson's really good. He went from having a really tough first half shooting the ball, so he couldn't miss in the second half, and he's a tough matchup for anybody. It's a six nine dude who likes to create off the dribble score. He he reminds me of kind of like a a stockier, um, you know, version of maybe like a Jabari Smith. He 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 had that kind of like I can put the ball in my hand, and I can create off the dribble, and I can you know I can pull up like probably a little bit more of a slasher, a little bit more of a dribbler than Jabari was, but he's gonna be good and. We'll see what happens with Gigi Jackson moving forward because, like, nothing has gone according to plan for South Carolina this year. And I do wonder. I don't know what the I don't know what the league. I don't know what the NBA mock drafts think of him right now. But, like, is he going to be another one of those Anthony Edwards, Ben Simmons type of? All right, I'm going to get mine on a really bad team, and uh, I'll see y'all in the league. Like, which again, you know, there, there's been plenty of those. Vanderbilt's had a couple of them uh, as well. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where that means. But, you know, a good player got hot. Uh, Auburn continued to foul a little too much. That's just going to be – I mean, that's the thing about their defense. As good as their defense has been, they foul a ton. Uh, and they got to – that's going to really kill them against, against you know, better teams. Uh, so they got to work on that. Even with the not great bench production and the comeback that attempt that South Carolina made, against some of the more the rotation in the backcourt. I could be wrong. This might be me being on an island here, but I think you can trade that if you're Auburn in exchange for Yoan Treor played well. Like, Yoan Treor had a game where he played more like a five-star uh, and, and, and showed a ton of confidence. Treor was three of six from the field. Uh, six shot attempts were the, were the most that he has had uh, in a game, it's I think it it was tied for the season lead for him. Uh, hit two threes, hit two corner threes. That's his shot. He's really good at that shot. You know, he he looks aggressive and he looks assertive, and that's not necessarily something that you would expect from a dude who's had a tough season and isn't always on the floor a lot for a five star. We've talked about it before. He's playing a brand new position. He was a big athletic do everything five uh, in high school and AAU. Now he's playing this position that it took Jalen Williams a little while to get going. It even took Jabari some time to get going. Chumo Kiki, like that four that that four position is not easy. And um, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a great sign painter that for a player that you would expect to be a bigger deal for Auburn next season in Yoan Treor, that you get that kind of production. You get you get something from him where he has that confidence. He gets on a breakaway and dunks. He hits a couple of corner threes. He takes several threes in this game uh, that were open. Those will be kind of little moments. You're not getting them right now from Chance Westry because they're protecting him with that injury uh, that, that, that kept him out for so long. But for Treor, if you're expecting this guy, we had talked about it, if you're expecting this guy to be a bigger deal next season, Having a game like this where he can look back and say, oh, you know what, I can do this. I can, um, you know, play at this at this level more consistently. I, I think you'll trade it. Even in a game like this, you know, even if the rest of the bench didn't have an overly great game, you will take the fact that you got something from a guy that you've been waiting to see play those games. Good stuff all around. Now we find out, though. Like, they're they're taking care of – what they should now as the challenge steps up. Can they get some things from players like Trey or more consistently? I don't know if you can count on on that regularly. Uh, we, we know what these teams are going to do in, in terms of 
focusing on Wendell and Janai and Alan, trying to make life difficult for those three. So where where these other pieces can step up as things get harder, as they gain more experience, becomes invaluable. Doesn't have to be every night. Stealing eight points like that, or when Zepp Jasper can give you six, seven, eight points, insert whoever's name that can help you out so that you take a little bit of pressure off some of those veterans. And yeah, this is a game, like we said, for Auburn, where you had that rough stretch. You know, if they'd have probably kept in their starters a little bit longer early in the second half, maybe they hit the magic number and, and blow the doors off of South Carolina and, you know, have a game like Tennessee won by 43 there, uh, South Carolina won, or I'm sorry, uh, Texas A&M won by 41 there. So it's like, yeah, like there are teams that are really good that have just pounded South Carolina and Auburn wasn't quite as impressive because of that second half. I think at the first half, they had played, you know, that first, let's say the first 25 minutes of the game, if they had played like that for all 40, yeah, maybe they'd have been closer to winning by 30 or 40. You get the win however you want to, you know, you get the way however you can, I should say. You cover the spread. But it does show that, yeah, there are times where this team, since they're not elite talented that they're not filled with NBA guys that that, that, that they're not you know just over the top in terms of readiness and the fact that you know with the way Arkansas picked themselves off the mat on on Saturday but like their best win this year is Arkansas and that's not looking awesome right now uh, because of Arkansas are like yeah this has been a favorable schedule to this point it gets a whole lot tougher down the stretch and it and it starts here on, on Wednesday night against Texas A&M but you know, it, it does show that, yeah, like, this is a good, not great team. They got to continue to create ways to be very, to be very good. Uh, and very good can win you games against some of these great teams. Alabama hasn't lost yet <laughs> to a team that's not awesome. I mean, I know, I know UConn's falling apart and I know Gonzaga just lost, but like, you know, in conference play, I mean, they, they're just red high right now. They're beating everybody they, they play by a decent number of points, but like, you know, South, you don't want to play the um, transitive property uh, a lot. But, like, look, South Carolina beat Kentucky. Kentucky beat Tennessee. Like, you know, very good. Very good. What, and I'm saying that to say this. You don't have to be in college basketball this season. You don't have to be playing at Alabama's level or playing at Houston's level every single night in order to beat some good teams. We have seen that. Like, TCU loses to West Virginia, smacks – Kansas in Allen Fieldhouse and Kansas was, you know, one of the one of the best teams in the country heading into that game. So you lean on that veteran, uh you lean on that veteran savvy and just take it one game at a time. Just take it one game at a time. And like I said, the what the two teams everybody think is the elite in the SEC and what they look like this year, Alabama and then Tennessee. Well, if you're Auburn, you play home and homes with both of them. You were really going to get that measuring stick. But in the meantime, when you have these easier games, you just got to keep taking care of business. And understandably, everyone's attention or, or most of our attention has turned to how the schedule gets much tougher from here on out. But Auburn still has some teams on the schedule that it should beat. And if they lose to one of those teams that they should beat, I won't be surprised because of what you just mentioned about the up and down nature of the sport generally. And this season, it seems to be especially true. Let's look ahead to this Texas A&M game coming up on Wednesday night. Auburn, by the way, as we said earlier, now has the longest home winning streak in college basketball thanks to Gonzaga's loss to Loyola Marymount on Thursday night. Um, this this Texas A&M team, you look at their resume, they had gotten off to a 5-0 and start. Like Auburn, have, has not played a murderer's row of talent this year um, in the SEC. Beat Florida by three, beat LSU by, 15, or by 13 beat Missouri by 18, blew out South Carolina, then beat Florida at home in a rock fight by two um, earlier in the week. They go to Rupp on Saturday and lose 76-67. That's their first SEC loss of the year. You look at their other, like their best wins this year, which was the best win this year in non-conference play, DePaul, maybe? SMU, maybe? The best teams they played in non-conference play, they did lose to. Um, now, they didn't get blown out except for the Colorado game. But this Texas A&M team, they go to Rupp Arena. Kentucky's starting to figure it out a little bit more, and they lose by nine. The key from that game, you go back and look at the box score of that one, key from that game, 
Kentucky hits 11 threes in this game, which is not what Kentucky usually does under uh, under Calipari. They go 11 of 32 from deep, um, and Texas A&M goes 3 of 16 from deep. So that's plus 24 and three-pointers in a game decided by nine. That'll I tell you, like, that shooting really, really matters. Texas A&M this season under Buzz Williams, they give up more three-point attempts and more assists per game than pretty much any major conference basketball team per game. They pack things into the paint. They're 17th in the country in two-point field goal percentage, but they foul a lot. Uh, they give up three point a ton of three-point attempts. They'll try to force you into turnovers, getting you in some tough situations. On the offensive side, they get to the free-throw line. They, they rebound the heck out of the ball. They're good from two. They're good from the free-throw line. They're not very good from three. A lot of similarities to Auburn, I think, with the exception of the fact whereas Auburn's defense is really good at extending out and making things tough on three-point shooters, A&M packs it in, gives it a lot, gives it a lot of, of, of three-point attempts uh, there. There's some guys that you may remember from the last time Auburn played Texas A&M uh, in, the, in that SEC tournament game uh, where you know Auburn just did not have it that day and, and ended up losing by five. You may remember some of uh, some of their key players. Wade Taylor is back. Uh, Tyrese Radford is back. Uh, they have got a, a really good transfer in Julius Marble from um, from Michigan State has kind of been one of their key guys this year. Henry Coleman's back uh, as well. This is a team that plays with a decent amount of experience and continuity. Top 100 in both of those stats uh, in college basketball. Not very tall, but they rebound pretty well, especially on the offensive end. They play a pretty physical, power-branded game. So, uh, it, to me, reminds me a lot of Mississippi State, and this is going to be a fight. This is going to be a, it's going to be a dog fight. It's not going to be for the faint of heart. All those, all those uh, uh, descriptors that you heard uh, Bruce Pearl and and the and the players say about the Mississippi State game, I think it's going to be very similar. And the key for Auburn is if a team can't shoot threes against you, and you feel like, and if a team can't shoot threes against you, and you feel like you can hit some, especially in your own building against a team that's going to give give some three point opportunities. To me, this is a game where it's going to be yeah. Can Auburn hit shots from deep? Like the Mississippi State game, they end up beat Mississippi State because they shot pretty well from deep in their own building. They got confident. They took advantage of the way that state was state was defending. A and M's going to do the same thing. Can Auburn hit threes at home? Didn't shoot the ball well from deep against South Carolina. Didn't really need to in order to put up, you know, 80-plus points in that one, it's going to be a big difference maker uh, because this, this, this A&M team, not a good three-point shooting team, they just lost to a Kentucky team that hasn't been shooting well from deep, yet did on their home floor. Can Auburn find some of that same formula that Kentucky used to beat A&M? Can they do it in their own, in their own building? Knowing that also, you know, A&M, couple wins against Florida, probably their, probably their best resume builders this year. You know, going to Rupp was one of their first really, really tough tests of the year. They lose. Auburn's going to try to make it two in a row there. Going to give some credit to Bruce Pearl for channeling his inner Buzz Williams and just being on the court during the game <laughs> against South Carolina. <laughs> yeah, man. Coaching boxes are a myth. And it's like the thing, like, as long as you're not interfering with play or, like, the run of it, I don't think it's a big deal. It's like when they do it in football, when they get really iffy about sideline warnings and stuff like that. Just be consistent. Bruce was doing that as the ball was going in the opposite direction. Buzz yeah. Williams will do it as a six defender, and it's like, you know, get off the court, man. Buzz is spotting up in the he's he likes that he likes that wing shot. You yeah, kick him, he's gonna he's gonna hit it in rhythm. He likes to get down in like a what's essentially a defensive stance, arms wide, crouched. He's slamming his foot down, and it's like, bro, this is not for you. This is not your time. To play defense. Nonetheless, uh, proud of and Bruce for getting out there, getting in some of the action. Also, Buzz Williams continues a lot of times to dress like an NPC from Red Dead Redemption. Like he's about to sell you um, some goods and services. Uh, maybe maybe, uh, maybe a gunsmith of some kind. Um, you know, he's... he's, he's He's really, he's really uh, making sure he's running a tight ship with his, with his business now in uh, San Denis. That's 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 what I think of every time I see Buzz. Results may vary, but I guess in the traditional sense, the best dressed coaches in the league are probably Stackhouse, Oates, and 
Williams. I mean, again, results. The ones that kept the ones that kept to the to the yes, suits. Right, yeah. right. You may have an opinion about stylistically how good you think it is. I, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this. I don't like dressing up for anything at all. I'm gonna have to dress up later this week for something. Why I'm not going to the West Virginia game on Saturday? Because I have a an, a an event I have to be at on Saturday night. I am pro wear the sweatsuits, wear the wear the hoodies, wear the you know the be comfortable. You know these are this is athletic competition. Be as comfortable as possible. You don't want your clothes restricting you. But some some coaches they they stick to they stick to tradition. They stick to style. And I think it was always really funny because Bruce Pearl was a meme for how much he sweat. You know how much he sweated through his suits. Uh, you know, and then when they were like during the pandemic, like yeah, we're not doing that junk anymore. Like Bruce ain't ever going back at that point. So I think I, I I applaud that. Like you know, I think it's I think it's hilarious that basketball did that for so long, and I still think it's hilarious that baseball makes their managers. I was wear just you. about to add, we should make it so that the basketball coaches have to wear shorts and jerseys because like and everyone, the Eagles head coach has to wear pads. He looks like he'd be ready for it, though. There are um, some coaches that, like, I guess Vrabel would fall into that category. Vrabel definitely would do it. Um, Andy Reid would be funny. <laughs> in, in, in Did he ever play? Do you know off the top of your head that he ever yeah, he play played some form of football? Yeah, he played. There's a really funny um, screen grab from, like, this. I guess when he was a kid uh, in, like, the 70s. He was in, like, some punt, pa- pass, and kick competition. And he's, like bigger than everybody else on the field like at that age uh yeah google uh google andy reed like andy reed kid or andy reed like punt pass kick and just look at him just like in 1971 he is he is the biggest human being compared to like the rest of the kids on the field let's shout out andy reed by the way Andy Reid. i've always been an andy reed guy we'll talk football here momentarily Andy Reid, I saw he is the uh, he is the first head coach I think in NFL history to win ten playoff games with two different teams. First ballot Hall of Famer. We love Andy Reid, uh, looking good king at all times. In that video, you know, I guess it it doesn't help that it's like a grainy bit of footage, and so like whenever I think you just sort of subconsciously see television from that era, it just makes you think everyone's older. But I did, at first glance, I was like, oh, this is him when he's like 23. I was thinking that you meant he was like a child. And, it's, you know, he is a child. <laughs> he looks It's just he looks a, like a grown man. <laughs> good for him. Good for him. By the way, before we get to take care of some business, did you see the photo of the woman at the Chiefs game yesterday who had the baked potato in her pocket and was eating it? During Lots of people are saying this is unusual behavior, but my junior year of high school, I would take a baked potato from the cafeteria and eat it in my history class. So I actually kind of, uh, I can relate to this person. It was freezing cold in Kansas City. I mean, I'm thinking you bake a potato, you use it as a hand warmer, and then when you're done, you got it, you got it, you can snack on. I I, I don't know about eating a plain baked potato, just like, you know, I'm gonna. What are you? What are you putting on your baked? When you had a history baked potato, what were you? What were you putting on it? Typically, it was just you know you could steal those little butter packets, right? And then I'm pretty sure that I would just have butter or like put some pepper on it because they probably had pepper packets in the cafeteria as well. I don't usually do a whole lot with my. I don't either. My I don't baked like potatoes. Butter. Maybe some cheese, you know, just to add a little bit more of a flavor profile, if you will. I don't do butter that much like i don't put butter on things like it's if it's a little like surprising stuff has... honestly given your tendency to enjoy southern cuisine right you know like it's like if it's if it's like butter being in stuff and like cooking with it obviously is perfectly fine it can be but it's like when people are like i'm gonna put butter on this you know i'm gonna put a butter on a baked potato or put like butter on a roll like no 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 we don't need that like i think butter i think like movie theater butter popcorn is like terrible um you know i'm not a not a fan of that at all um but yeah uh i'm also not like over like stuff that's overly salty is not great to me so i think that's part of it but yeah i'm a i'm a cheese on a baked potato guy that's the that's the move we get that's that's the best way to enjoy one 
whether you're at a restaurant or you're at a you know AFC divisional playoff game. All right. Uh, speaking of football, we've got some uh, discussions. We wanted we wanted to talk about quarterbacks because I know it's on a lot of Auburn fans' mind. We had a lot about it in the in the uh, mailbag on Friday uh, that you can check out if you'd like to join uh, the Auburn Observer community. Be a part of the inner circle. You get twice as much of this podcast. You get all of our episodes of Friends of the Program. You also get every newsletter that we do. Um, so a lot of in-depth stuff on Auburn football and men's basketball. We're talking analysis, X's and O's, uh, stats, uh, and then we have a lot of fun with our mailbags, with our podcasts. Uh, try to give you something you can't get anywhere else. AuburnObserver.com. Sign up at $6 a month, or if you pay $60 up front, uh, you get a full year, which means, according to my math, that's two f- free months. Uh, you can also uh, sign up for a free trial uh, for a week, Check it out. See if you want to jump on board. A lot of you have done this this way, and we appreciate you jumping on that way. Uh, check it out with a free trial and then get a full subscription after that. I will say I had something on, in my head about, about subscribers, and I'm already off of it. Sorry. Um, but we appreciate all of you who do uh, subscribe. Oh, this is what I was going to say. There is a uh, – if you get this – uh, podcast email if you're on our free feed uh, you get it through your email there's a button you can click on to subscribe or there's a link in the description uh, of whatever podcast app you're using speaking of podcast apps painter let them know how they can help us out rate review subscribe hit the subscribe button get that podcast in your feed um, rating reviewing takes like 20 seconds five stars leave one or two lines of course you can leave more some of you do that and we appreciate mm-hmm. the fun reviews but we will take a simple one-line review about why it is you listen to the show or whatever. Um, that helps us a lot. And just in general, we appreciate the support of the show. Yeah, so uh, we've got a new review. Uh, we read our reviews on air because, A, we're vain people, but, B, we like shouting you guys out for helping us out. It's from EC Myers 99 says, I'm a lifelong Auburn fan. Thanks for helping me stay up to date on the Tigers. Five stars. That's exactly, I mean, it can be as simple as that. Or you can go nuts with it, uh, and we, we appreciate both of them, um, both styles. Give us five stars. That is through Apple Podcasts because that is kind of like the godfather of podcast apps. That's where you can review us. You can also give us five stars on Spotify if you listen that way. Or if you don't listen that way and just have Spotify, just throw five stars our way there. It helps us out a ton. Also, want to shout out our friends at Homefield Apparel. Homefield, big 2023 already kicking off. They're doing some refreshes. Uh, they've got a lot of plans in the works, a lot of cool stuff, uh, that you're going to want to be a part of homefieldapparel.com. The most comfort, the most comfortable t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts that you can find anywhere, uh, with the best collegiate logos that you're going to find anywhere. All right. Homefield apparel, a lot of great Auburn stuff, a lot of great Auburn basketball stuff. Homefield was repping, was repped pretty hard at the throwback game against Mississippi state a couple weeks ago. Imagine that that that's going to be a thing again here on Wednesday uh, against Texas A&M. Always see a lot of home field in the Neville Arena crowd. Also, it's the place to buy your Auburn Observer T-shirt. And Painter, I haven't even told you this, but I wanted to say this: I got an email from our friends at Homefield. I want to shout you guys out. According to our fine folks at Homefield, we have sold or Homefield has sold. Over 1,000 Auburn Observer t-shirts since they launched at the beginning of football season last year. So over 1,000 of y'all have bought Auburn Observer t-shirts, which is insane. Just like we, like Painter, Painter has not, like Painter's eyes are out of his head right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, If you want to be like the thousands of others who have Auburn Observer t-shirts, uh, go to Homefield Apparel, search Auburn Observer. It's our logo uh, in a nice little uh, little pocket-sized logo uh, on a super comfortable navy heather t-shirt. I will say this, Painter, I think we might be trendsetters. I'm looking at some of the refreshes that they, that they rolled out. Uh, they like Purdue and Indiana and Louisville. I believe the Observer was the first one to ever get the small logo on a Homefield shirt. And I'm seeing more and more of those pop up now. So I think I think we're tastemakers. But shout out to Connor and Whitney and the gang up at uh, up at Homefield. 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com when you use the promo code Observer. Check it out. So buy Homefield, 
T-shirt for the Observer. Buy your Auburn stuff. Buy stuff that you just think is cool from other teams. Shout out to the gang up there. But yeah, over a thousand T-shirts we have sold <laughs> through home field. It's it's obscene uh just how crazy you guys are i was gonna say i, I spent a lot of money at home field in december but i didn't do all that <laughs> I, i'll tell you, i bought a couple for other people but that that's it like i think between us we we might be responsible for like four or five of those that means that means the rest of y'all are, are insane but that, that that is that is so awesome we we thank you guys a ton for that all right before we go let's talk some football um we talked about it. The new the the mailbag on Friday. A lot of questions about Auburn's quarterback situation moving forward. Um, so the transfer portal window has come to a close. Here's what that means. I'm gonna be very clear because there's some confusion about this. All right, nobody can go into the portal now. If you've already been in the portal, like you know, if you're not in the portal and want to and want to transfer, you're gonna have to wait until May to do that. Unless you're a graduate and graduates. Transfers can still happen at any time. They're above the rules, you know, as they always meant. So there are people who are still in the portal that could announce for Auburn or any other school here in the next few weeks. The problem is now it's too late to enroll in school, so you won't be going through spring ball. So Auburn could pick up, other teams could pick up some transfers here over the next few weeks and months before that May window opens up. Obviously, graduate transfers are the special case. But most of the movement has already come and gone. And that movement has come and gone without Auburn picking up a quarterback. Auburn's got the number three class, I think, in the transfer portal, according to 247 uh, Composite, which is what we use um, because that's the one that's been around the longest and it's the one I've used the longest from all of my work at different outlets. That's what I just default to. It's been a really good class. You know, you get three offensive linemen, which has never been done before. Uh, three four-star offensive line transfers, which has never been done before in the portal era. Additionally, um, you reload on the defensive line. You pick up two SEC West linebackers. You get a playmaker at running back. You get a potential uh, big-body uh, player uh, wide receiver. You get another tight end who who had some had some explosive plays in his career at FIU. You get all those spots but you don't have a quarterback. And timing is interesting because last week, since we last did our podcast, Ole Miss has, not, has gotten not one but two transfer quarterbacks. They get Walker Howard uh, from LSU, former high four-star commitment. He spent one year at LSU. He ends up, you know, Jaden Daniels is coming back to um, Baton Rouge for another season. Walker Howard, who is a legacy at LSU, you may remember his dad, Jamie Howard, for throwing a ton of interceptions in the uh, famous interception game for Auburn in the 90s. He goes to Ole Miss. Ole Miss is returning Jackson Dart as well as their starting quarterback from last season. But Lane Kiffin really started to come on here down the stretch with the quarterback spot. They get Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State. Now here's the thing about Spencer Sanders. Reportedly, Auburn was interested in Spencer Sanders. He never came on a visit to Auburn. He was also in the portal, I think, pretty much from the day it opened until the day it closed uh, in terms of the the, the new window. My thing about Spencer Sanders is this, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have all this inside information on recruiting and whatnot. As as we always say, read and listen to all the people who do a great job covering recruiting at 247 and on 3 and on Rivals. Auburn fans, you're you're spoiled on on how much you get from from recruiting coverage here. But I will say this: it seems to me that if Auburn really wanted Spencer Sanders, they could have made a bigger push. And the fact that Spencer Sanders is transferring to a place that got another transfer quarterback a day earlier and has a returning starter makes me think there weren't people just knocking down the door from to make him their guy, the guy. The thing with Spencer Sanders is. Had a lot of interceptions at Oklahoma State. I think he's a good football player. Um, I think, you know, he he has he has the ability to make a ton of plays through the air. He's a good runner. Um, he's been inconsistent with his accuracy. He had a tough year last season, and, and again, he is interception prone. He will he will force that thing in there. Um, but I feel like it, yeah, if Auburn really thought you know we need Spencer Sanders, he needs to be in our room. He needs to be our guy next season. They could have made it happen, and they didn't. 
And instead, he's going to an Ole Miss where he's not going to be guaranteed the starting job by any means. I think that's pretty telling. Auburn also kicked the tires on Brennan Armstrong from Virginia, who, like Spencer Sanders, had some good seasons in the past, but his most recent season was not very good at all. You know, took a step back. That, you know, I think that was the thing where you look at who Auburn really wanted at quarterback in this cycle. Grayson McCall, obviously, that didn't work out. He didn't work out with anybody. Um, Florida wanted him too. Uh, he ends up at Coastal. Well, keep an eye on that. I just I, I do want to see like academic stuff. I'm not saying like you can wave a magic wand and and you know everything be fixed on the academic side, but I do wonder maybe with another semester could things be worked out for Grayson McCall to potentially come to Auburn or somewhere else. That that's just speculation on my part. That's not reporting. We'll be very clear on that. They also kept brought in Devin Leary, and Devin Leary was uh, leaning towards Kentucky, um, and Kentucky had basically the thing that said, hey, come to Kentucky. Uh, we're bringing back Liam Cohen, who is an NFL offensive coordinator. He's coming back to be our guy. Leary, more of a pro-style quarterback from his time at NC State, made a good fit there. Outside of those two guys, though, Auburn didn't really put the full-court press on anyone at the quarterback spot. And why is that? Well... I do think that if there were like these can't miss, this is our guy quarterbacks that you want to go get, you can go get them. If it's more of this guy can come compete with us or, you know, we this guy's a starter and he wants to start, but he might not necessarily be better than Robbie Ashford, you know, with a, with a year of development. Like, that's where it kind of gets iffy. That's a gray area. And I think there's a lot of value for Auburn in saying, hey, you know, we could have taken a quarterback or we could have gotten a, a quarterback in, in, in this window. But instead, what we're going to do is we're going to evaluate what we've got in Robbie Ashford this spring. We'll see what happens with TJ Finley uh, in the spring as well. See what you get in Holden Garner. You get Hank Brown coming in in the summer and then go from there. We talked about it. We've talked about it for weeks now from the time that we had um, a Jordan on uh, about – I think if anybody leaves that Georgia quarterback battle, because they're you know three wide, Carson Beck's probably going to be the the starter there. If anybody leaves that Georgia battle, that's somebody you could go out and get. Ohio State's going to have a pretty big battle as well, and I'm not saying there's any connection there or that, but like whoever doesn't win that Ohio State job could go into the portal and being a former five star could be a big name, you know, addition for somebody. There are there are going to be others, you know, and look, I, this may be cynical, but you know. I also think there's going to be a situation that comes up where you get into the end of spring ball and a really good group of five quarterback might look around and say, okay, I could stay here, or I know for a fact that Auburn is looking for a quarterback, or I know for a fact that Florida's looking for a quarterback, or Team X, Team Y, or Team Z, and then maybe you make the move then. I, I do know there's a lot of people who are having the questions, though, Painter, of like, you didn't get a quarterback, does this guarantee that Robbie Ashford is going to be the guy? I think it's more likely than not, not knowing what Auburn's going to have next. Yeah, well, I think they're going to see what they have in, in May, and I think they're not going to make any final decisions until until the fall. Part of me thinks that they'll still try to bring someone in. Obviously, that's me speculating. The other thing is, if you bring someone in, I feel like they're going to have to be talented because they're going to have to make up quite a bit of ground yeah at this point yeah i think of like nick marshall was a later arrival and then he ended up winning the job but it's like yeah it was you know he walked into a situation where they needed somebody and he fit what what auburn really wanted yeah you're gonna have to do a really good job to win the to win the starting job in just a hand like in the summer and then obviously in fall camp with real practices it's not impossible and there there could be you know Guys with experience from either the group of five level or maybe another power five guy making wanting to make a move. Or maybe somebody who was a really talented player that sees more a bigger path to playing time at Auburn than, than elsewhere. The intrigue with Robbie Ashford is interesting because you can just look at Robbie Ashford. You look at the way he ran the ball, especially in, towards the end of the season, and you can see... With Hugh Freeze and Philip Montgomery's track records with quarterbacks like Malik Willis, with like Robert Griffin III and, and others, you can say, okay, I can see how they can get excited about that. Additionally, you also have to look and say, well, Robbie Ashford completed less than 50% of his passes last season, threw as many interceptions as he did touchdowns. 
was one of the worst performing quarterbacks through the air among qualified FBS quarterbacks last season, right? His running was great and, like, you know, helped Auburn get those wins down the stretch under Cadillac Williams. Like, he he is – he made plays and he did well in, in certain areas. But, like, also, you got to be a lot better as a passer in order to win in the SEC. Just, everybody knows that. Now, Robbie Ashford has a caveat there with it is that he played through injury. An injury to his throwing arm. That can explain some of the fact that he was so inconsistent throwing the ball, but it can't explain all of it to me. I don't I don't think so. Um what can Philip Montgomery and Hugh Freeze and the rest of the staff do with Robbie Ashford? Because I would not be surprised at all, Painter, if we're in spring practice here in a couple of months, a month and a half, and we're sitting here talking about like, wow, Robbie Ashford looks better. Or wow, there's a lot of hype, there's a lot of buzz around Robbie because that's going to be the time where you're not playing real real games. and But he could get better because I think just naturally he's going to be better off with these coaches because it's in an offense and in a system more built to what he does compared to what Brian Harson and, and, and more of that pro-style system was. I agree. I think the narrative for Robbie this spring will be somewhat predictable. Um, it will be beneficial to the staff to talk him up um, you want people to be excited in a coach's first year. As you say, it's spring ball. Um, as we know, players always look terrific in the offseason. That's the norm. Um, and, and what you just said, I think I should revise my previous statement. It's not that the guy that comes in, if they should bring someone in this offseason, has to be super talented. I just think they have a lot of ground to make up. But you're right. It's not as if Robbie Astrid to this point has shown so much that a guy couldn't come in late and take the job. I just, you know, right. he's clear, very clearly got a head start on whoever that is if it if it comes to fruition. And I want to be very careful because I think Robbie Ashford, he's definitely a quarterback. He wants to be a quarterback. I think when healthy and in a system that fits him can be a lot better of a of a passer than he, what he showed, you know, this um, this past season. I want to be very careful when I say I want to make all that that point. I do think there could be a scenario though where Robbie Ashford isn't your starting quarterback next year, yet still finds ways to get on the field. Because he's, you know, he's that good of a uh, playmaker. I mean, he's he's a really good runner. I mean, this is a guy who, towards the end of last season, especially after Cadillac Williams took over, 108 yards against Mississippi State, 121 against Alabama. You know, made some play, made some really good throws uh, against Alabama, and there were a couple of really big plays against State. It just needed to be happen more consistently. But that running threat is there. He's a great athlete. He's a great runner. And I think he has potential to be a much better passer. But there could be a scenario where it's like, okay, you don't you don't see it as him being um, the guy, the quote-unquote starter. But we say this every year, it feels like maybe a package works for him. You know, maybe you look at like what the Saints do with Taysom Hill and say, "Hey, yo, go do, go do that." You know, see what you other package quarterbacks have done. Not even just necessarily Wildcat, but stuff that can fit him. I think that would be really, really big for a guy like uh, for for a guy like Robbie Ashford if Auburn brings in somebody who is a better passer. But here's the other thing too: if it's accuracy, you know, and 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 efficiency you know, all that that you want with your quarterback in this system and spread the ball around, can make all these throws. I'm interested to see what Holton Garner does in the spring because he was a really good quarterback coming out of high school. He's got a lot of the traits that I think would fit in this offense. More of a pro-style guy, it looked like with Harson, he was a good fit there, but, like, I can see it kind of translate. He's not going to be a dude who's going to tug and run a lot for big big yardage, but he is mobile enough in the pocket to make things happen. That's what's going to make this a really fun little battle because – you know, the word on Holden Gariner, and it wasn't just from the guy who got fired here um, and, and is, is no longer coaching, um, but the word was from from a lot of folks at Auburn, players and, and, and elsewhere, that, you know, man, Holden Gariner was really throwing the ball well in, you know, fall camp. It's just the fact that he's young and he's a, he's a freshman. He's going to need time to develop and, and grow. Now that he's gone through that year, maybe maybe you see a step forward for him as a redshirt freshman. I'm really intrigued by by Garner's potential. Robbie's stats were just so bad last year. 
And as you say, there could be reason for that. It's first year as a starter, banged up. But if you go from 49% to 60% passing, I mean, that is a huge jump in what generally we kind of view 60% completion as sort of a bare minimum of, of being competent, especially in today's game where the passing game has become mm-hmm. critical if, you, you know, if you're really serious about winning championships or at least being a competitive team. Yeah, you could be a 60% passer if the 60% you do, you are making big plays happen. Like your yards per attempt's not low as well, and you run the ball well. You don't have to sit here and say, well, you have to be you have to be this awesome, awesome quarterback and have like, you know, a crazy high completion percentage in order to be an effective player. But yeah, you need to be at least 60%. You need to probably be if you want to be a top half quarterback in college football, you need to be 65% around that, maybe a little higher. Um, but make enough plays with your legs and make enough plays elsewhere that you're going to be fine. Like I look at, I'm looking at it right now. The completion, like Max Duggan was 63.7% last year. I see um, Bryce Young was 64 and a half. Clifford was 64. Uh, Cam Rising was 64, you know, close to 65 as well. So it's like, yeah, you know, you got to get in those low 60s. You you do those low 60s, stretch the field enough with your arm, but also make plays happen with your legs. You can you can win a lot of games as a quarterback and be a really good one. Um, just can that that would be a pretty big jump up for Ashford from what he had, even with the injury. What's 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 that going? What's that going to look like? All right, that'll do it for this podcast. Appreciate everybody listening. Uh, like you said, we will have a lot of stuff this week. Uh, Auburn basketball on Wednesday against Texas A and M. We will most likely, I would say, don't want to put, don't want to put words in your mouth, Painter. But Wednesday night game, I think we're probably looking at a Friday podcast release for, um, you know, after the our midweek one. So that'll be our next premium one. Will probably be on Friday. Uh, that will be that will cover uh, the Texas A and M game. Look ahead to the West Virginia game. Anything happening in uh, on the football side? Additionally, uh, a lot of newsletters this week. Uh, for basketball and football, you can subscribe to the Observer. We email all, all of them out to you, and uh, yeah, we are uh, we're looking forward to uh, what should be a pretty exciting here, exciting stretch here as schedule ramps up in basketball. Things get tougher, games get bigger. We're getting closer and closer to to, to spring football as well. So it's a great time to hop on board with a subscription to the Observer if you haven't done it already, auburnobserver.com, $6 a month or $6 a year. There are links and buttons and all that you can hit uh, to get to where you need to go. So we'll talk to all of you in the inner circle again on Friday more than likely. Everybody else, see you next week. Painter, final thoughts. Go Bills. Go Bills.